From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady is in the house. If you've got a question for Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 1- 205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Charles Beery, our celebrity producer today. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff uh, 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 Ace McKay is our social media maven. Uh, upon the retirement of Jeff Burson, I can't get Jeff Burson out of my mind. But we wish Jeff well in his first full week of retirement. Um, Ace McKay steering the social media ship today. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, the aforementioned Dominican father, Brian Milady, how are you? Oh, I'm okay for having... (laughs) The winter blues. Yeah, yes. well, what are you going to do? It's going to be, it's 71 degrees here today. It's going to be in the teens next week here. Oh, my goodness. It's oh, craziness. Change. So, yes. Father, we live, as people try to label the times and periods in which we live, you know, we were not too long ago, uh, the period in which we lived was being referred to as post-Christian. And now, I think rightly so, it is being dubbed post-truth the culture in which we live. And uh, if truth has uh, a little bit of muddled situation about it, then I'm sure uh, vows, contracts, anything like that uh, are things that are not well understood by the people in our culture. Yes. uh, Whenever I give sermons about the vows now, People, even religious uh, sisters or priests, react like, gee, we didn't know that was what we were about. (laughs) And you actually use a term that we learned 50 years ago, but we haven't heard since. Uh, You know, I talked about Epiphany last week. And one of the interesting things about Epiphany is that it's a very uh, telling and beautiful expression of what we used to call, Aristotle called, and the Christian tradition is called, the virtue of religion. And what is the virtue of religion? The virtue of religion is our attempt to repay God for all he has given to us. Normally it involves gifts or sacrifices, so We have examples, last epiphany, 
of the three wise men who bring expressions of the virtue of religion, their own religion, to the child. So you have gold, which expresses his divinity. You have frankincense, which expresses his, well, really his humanity. And then you have myrrh, which expresses the fact that he is going to die for the sake of sinners. In the church, the perfect following of Jesus, then, has to have all three of these characteristics. It has to be centered on God. It has to also involve humanity, because it's, after all, we who are making the vows. And then it has to have some degree of sacrifice. And so, when the church began to um, lose the ability to experience absolute witness to Christ when martyrdom became very infrequent, they adopted the way of life which is partially recommended by Christ and was very much recommended by St. Anthony the Abbot of expressing our religious convictions by our attempt to repay God in justice. And the attempt to repay God in justice is on three levels, all of which correspond to the three temptations listed in Scripture in John. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because what we're supposed to approach is the condition of having as though not having. So a fixed way of life was established in the church that eventually became um, legally established too, in which people embraced poverty to cure the lust of the eyes, chastity to cure the lust of the flesh, and obedience to cure for the pride of life. In the fixed way of life in religious communities, when people embraced these things, what they were supposed to be doing was addressing the fact that they are trying to set up shop and to manipulate their situation around them and to surrender that. So we're supposed to approach a condition, as St. Paul says, of having as though not having. And so though we have, well, the, the fixed way of life has these three characteristics to it, its purpose is to grow in love of God. That's its final purpose. And to connect the virtue of religion, which is an attempt to repay God for which we cannot repay him in justice, and charity which is the attempt to experience communion with God in its fullest uh, extent. Now, uh, of course, this has, is a difficult ideal. And depending on what order a person is in, because people who embrace these uh, three councils they're called councils of perfection, 
because our Lord recommends them, but he doesn't require them like he does the commandments. Those who embrace these three counsels are truly trying to embrace the life of grace. And so they're called the evangelical councils. There are certain people in the church who've been chosen to be a witness to the fact that we are having as though not having and we're not trying to dominate other people in either sexuality or money or just by the fact of being in charge of them that we're actually supposed to be surrendering ourselves. And I'm always amused when I hear people talk about religious life. There's a, especially women, they'll say, you know, I should have been a nun. Of course, I would have had to be the superior. <laughs> and he said, well, it doesn't quite work that way. You don't enter the religious life to become a superior. You enter a religious life to become perfect. And whether you're a superior or not doesn't matter as long as you are doing what you're doing with love. So as we think about Epiphany, where the Magi sought to express their religion by gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we're invited to express our religion by poverty, chastity, and obedience so that we might be truly integral, whole, and return with the condition of what man was like before the sin and what we shall be like when we're in heaven. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Again, if you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five it's ewtn's open line thursday with father brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. It's a great time to stock up right now. EWTN's Religious Catalog is offering great Christmas items, including beautiful Christmas cards, 
One beautiful set uh, features the arrival of Jesus in the stable with the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, and some visiting shepherds. Inside the card is the sentiment, May this Christmas season bring you much joy and happiness. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go then to Bethlehem to see this thing that has taken place. That's the second chapter of Luke, verse number 15. And each deluxe box includes 15 cards and 16 gold foil-lined envelopes. And I'm telling you, Visit EWTNRC.com now. Pack these away, and when you get ready for Christmas next year and find the cards are already purchased, it will be such a joy for you. Um, TWTNRC.com, and you've got uh, other styles uh, of Christmas cards as well, as well as uh, many other great items for you to peruse. It's available now. Uh, Free standard shipping is available now on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Father, we were talking during the break. Anna on YouTube wanted to know out of all the animals, why was the serpent chosen to tempt Eve? And you said you weren't really sure about that, but uh, you could speculate based on the times in which the book of Genesis was written. Yeah, well, I did try to look that up, of course, on the infallible source, which is uh, iPad. (laughs) And it says the serpent in Genesis 3 was Satan. Satan was either appearing as a serpent, possessing the serpent, or deceiving Adam into believing that it was the serpent who was talking to him. Serpents and snakes do not possess the ability to speak. Uh, in Revelation twelve nine and 22, both describe Satan as a serpent. You remember the great dragon. He sees the dragon and the ancient serpent who is the devil. So, uh, while the Bible is not clear as to whatever, whether or not the serpent stood up or walked, it appears likely that like other reptiles, it probably did walk unlike other reptiles. Um, It probably did walk on four legs. Well, I don't think that's true. I'm sorry. So it goes to show you that... uh, iPad is not an infallible source. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Wide open phone lines for you and plenty of time for your calls on Open Line Thursday. Uh, Joe writes in, I have a family member who receives communion, but he is not Catholic. We've talked to him about RCIA, but he refuses to go. What do you recommend we do? You tell him to stop receiving the Eucharist until he uh, converts to Catholicism. You can't do anything else. You remember, uh, the Eucharist is one of the sacraments of Christian maturity. And as a result, it cannot be taken lightly. And to do that in the, the way you're me- mentioning is where a person's decided for themselves that regardless of what we believe about it, they can receive the Eucharist based on their own decision, which is simply not possible. 
Uh, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Alexandra has sent us an email. This is an interesting question I hadn't considered before. She said, is there any connection between the Eucharist and Jesus's title, Lord of Hosts? No, the Lord of Hosts <laughs> refers to armies. <laughs> uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, the Lord of Hosts has to do with the fact of the power of God. So, in other words, the word host is used there. Um, and, of course, we say it at the beginning of the canon, but it's merely a title given to God because he rules over all. The Eucharist is a slightly different mystery, and the term host there, hostia, actually means victim. So it would be the actual opposite in Latin which is what the language is, where it comes from. But it's not related as such, no. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Pete is a first-time caller. He's in Smyrna, Tennessee, listening today on St. Rose Radio. Pete, you're on with Father Brian Malady. Hello, Father. Um, my question is, was Jesus considered the son before he was born as a human? Uh, yes, because the term son can also mean perfect reflection of the father, and he was the second person of the Trinity. He was a divine son, therefore. Once he uh, took flesh, then the term son is applied to also to his sacred humanity. And the former was true always. Always. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. We appreciate the call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- Emily would like to know, she says, our church has assigned the deacon to perform an upcoming sacrament of matrimony. Can a deacon perform this, and how can a deacon perform a sacrament? Well, a deacon can perform a sacrament because the church recognizes the ability of the deacon to witness to marriages and that remember the uh, sacrament of marriage is not performed by the priest it's performed by the baptized couple the minister of the church either priest or deacon is merely a witness to this in the name of the church but uh, the minister of the sacrament of matrimony is the uh, couple. Very good. 833-288-EWTN. Still time for your phone calls at 833-288-3986. Mary has a practical question. She says she has chronic daily pain, and she wants to know how she can focus on Jesus when she has pain all of the time. Uh, Well, I don't know. (laughs) 
Uh, I actually have a terrible problem with my legs, and I'm in pain a good bit of the time except when I sit down. So I have to focus on Jesus too. You simply have to realize that, uh, well, you can use things like Christ heals me from pain, Christ supports me in pain, Christ himself experienced pain of the cross. In those ways, you can certainly focus on our Lord. And uh, Manon wants to know, how can we bridge Alcoholics Anonymous and the Catholic Church? Someone close to me is in AA and say they believe in God, but not in organized religion. I really believe the church that was created by God would help this individual find peace and healing that they desperately need. Any advice would be appreciated. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the 12 steps were begun in the Catholic Church. In fact, uh, there was a sister named Sister Ignatia who's called the Angel of Alcoholics Anonymous. She lived in Cleveland. And she had a nervous breakdown. I think it's kind of amusing that she had a nervous breakdown over Gregorian chant because she was a musician. And the doctor came and told her, you know, you can be one of two things, a live nun or a dead musician. Which one do you want? Because you're not able to surrender this, and it's, got, it's causing you great difficulties, very much like the obsession of an alcoholic. So the nuns gave her light duty as a mini-officer in a hospital, and she came to realize that alcoholics were primarily suffering from a spiritual disease, a lack of prayer, and that it was very much like what she was going through. So she founded the first treatment center in the world for alcoholism. It's called Rosary Hall. And the 12 steps are a kind of loosely based expression of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Well, at Rosary Hall, one of the things you had to do was say the rosary every day, <laughs> no matter what your religion was. <laughs> so finally, the alcoholics came to her and they said, you know, we're benefiting a lot from this program because, you know, surrendering to a higher power is very important for us. But how can we say we that higher power is Christ when many of us don't believe in Christ? So that's when she changed it to a higher power. And I don't know if you've ever been to an alcoholics meeting. I never have, but I've been told that they give you a token and you can't take your next drink till you return the token. Well, the token was actually a Sacred Heart badge that Sister Ignatia would give all the alcoholics. And she'd make them promise that before they took their next drink, they returned the token to her. Well, eventually, of course, because again, not everyone's Catholic, they changed it to um, just some sort of token. So there's actually a very intimate relationship between the 12 steps and the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And as a result, a great relationship between Catholic spirituality and uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. 
833-288-EWTN. That is our toll-free telephone number. It is a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline, all one word, openline at EWTN.com. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Dominican Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head now to the great state of Colorado. Jay is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jay, thank you for holding. Welcome to the program. Appreciate it, Father. I've got a question for you. I went to confession several weeks ago uh, to a traditional Latin Mass. And when I went to confession, uh, I, was, I was trying to make a kind of like a life confession. And it went back quite a number of years where I had been to confession, but I wasn't giving a good confession. And I was trying to rectify this and to get out of mortal sin. Well, the priest said I would need to go back and list all of my mortal sin, which, and I need to, you know, I mean, if I had one mortal sin that was, we'll say, stealing or something like that, I would need to know all of them, how many that I did. And I said, my father, I have no clue. And I'm an old man, and I'm trying to go back and clean out, clean out the, uh, you know, the things that I've done wrong in my confession. So I had to, uh, you know, I, I didn't take communion that day, so I'm trying to figure out what I need to do to receive, to relieve all the mortal sin. Does that, did I explain that correctly? Yes, I think so. Um, uh, well, first of all, you need to remember that in every confession, you say, for these and all the sins I cannot not remember, I ask penance from God and absolution from you, Father. Well, that includes all the past sins that you can't remember. So, for the sake of devotion, you may wish to revisit some of those. Sometimes people recommend that you do a general confession. But Dominicans are generally against general confessions, except in very rare circumstances. And the reason is because people become too scrupulous they figure they've got to go through every single thing uh, since they were 12. Uh, no, no. If you re- can't remember, if you sincerely forgot a mortal sin, then it's forgiven. Now, if you sometime in your life should remember that you 
didn't confess the sin, but you're not supposed to obsess over this, the scrupulous types will obsess over it, then you should mention it in confession. But again, the teaching of the church is clear. It's not because it wasn't forgiven before. It's merely to put it under the power of the keys. So one of the problems we have with the traditional priests is that they, perhaps legitimately, to make up for a laxity in confession, boy, they get big time as far as um, scrupulosity in confession. So what I, my advice to you would be, unless you remember a mortal sin, then it's forgiven. So move on. From now on, of course, since you know it's important, confess number and kind. Also, from now on, be aware of what is happening as far as you can be and just say the sins you're now aware of and not something that you did 20 years ago. God bless you, Jay. One great thing you've done by calling is you'll have a bunch of people that will be praying for you as well. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Lee is in the great state of Louisiana listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lee, you're on with Father Brian Malady. Hi, Father. Um, I am a longtime listener, first-time caller. But I had a question, and I'm kind of stuck on it. Maybe you could give me some insight. In the Old Testament, you know, that Jesus performed so many miracles before the community of people at that time. Well, my question is, why when Pilate asked the people who did they want him to release for crucifixion, either Jesus or Barabbas, the robber, the community chose the robber. Isn't that just like people? <laughs> they, they do not have any clue as to what a good person is often. And it's, even in the lives of the saints, there are some examples of people whom we consider saints now but were treated like crap basically while they were here on earth, by their own, let's say in Catherine of Siena, for example, with her sisters, her sister treated her like dirt because um, they were jealous of her. Also, remember the accusation was given, if we free this man, then the Romans will come and take over our country. So it was an attempt to cover the basis of political liberation, which is what the Jews were basically interested in. Their redeemer was a political redeemer, not a spiritual redeemer. Now, that's not true of everyone, of course. Uh, there were lots of people in the Old Testament who longed for the coming of Christ, like Simeon and Anna, for instance. But nonetheless, our Lord, when it came to be put, 
they looked at this poor guy, scourged the crown with thorns, and then they looked at the bandit, who some people represent as even a, you know, like a guerrilla warrior, guerrilla fighter against the Romans. And so they just um, judged that Barabbas had more um, qualities that would lead to the overcoming of the Romans than Christ did. Does that help, Lee? Absolutely, yeah, that does shed some light on, on that. I, I, but yet I'm still really profoundly <laughs> surprised by that, because if you see someone doing a miracle, then obviously, you know, that's some value. But I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking my call. You know, you can watch people do all, people do all kinds of good, but when they hit the time when you think what they're doing is evil, then or you don't like them or they're inexpedient, then you just basically reject them. Yeah, I, I'm sure that probably getting in line behind their their own religious leaders had something to do with it too, huh? Yeah, and and it's very difficult to answer a question why people didn't do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. God yeah. bless you, Lee. We appreciate the phone yeah. call today. Them. Yeah. Yeah. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We've still got a couple of open phone lines in time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Um, next up is John, a first-time caller in the great state of Wisconsin, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. John, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you, Father. Thank you for taking my call. Uh I'm in RCIA class here in Wisconsin, and there's a line in the Lord's Prayer that I'm struggling with that says, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and I don't have a problem with, you know, forgiving somebody, but how far does that have to go? Do I have to be friends with them or associate no, with them? it doesn't say be friends with people who are like you. It says forgive them. And we need to be constantly forgiving um, people because uh, our forgiveness of them is the standard on which we're going to be judged when it comes to God forgiving us. Teresa Bavoli is to say that if God could forgive her so much, she couldn't uh, withhold it from someone else. It doesn't mean to say that she liked it or she... Uh, approved of it or anything like that but that uh, well let's put it this way suppose you have learned a realistic conception of anger and in other words a mature conception of anger which is basically an attempt to change the sinner but all of your attempts to do this have uh, fallen flat, or you can't do it. Let's say they're dead. Obviously, you can't ask forgiveness from them when they're dead. And also, it doesn't depend on their forgive, saying they're, they accept your forgiveness. It depends on you offering it. That's why the Lord says, uh, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? 
And Jesus is very, you know, uh, 70 times, seven times. Now, as a result, then you have two choices. You can either hold on to your anger and let it destroy you, or you can make a mature Christian decision and just say, well, I don't care if he forgives me or not. I need to express or do behavior which expresses the fact that I need forgiveness. Because Christ knew, as our divine physician, that all of us would find us in situations where we couldn't resolve our anger. And so he suggests, or actually requires in the Lord's Prayer, that our own forgiveness be judged by the forgiveness we make of others. God bless you, John. You know, uh, Father Milady, I had one of your confreres in the in the Midwest many, many years ago now uh, remind me in the confessional that not only is it not sinful, but sometimes it's an act of charity to just avoid some people. <laughs> oh, well, that's true. Try doing it sometime, yeah. though. <laughs> they do seem to find you, don't they? they um, do. God bless you, John. <laughs> Either that or they treat you like crud when they find you. Yeah. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Jessica's watching us on YouTube, Father, and she says that she thinks what sometimes prompts scrupulosity in some people is that a lot of people confuse mistakes for sins. When you make an honest mistake, you should be able to move on quickly, and she wants to know what your thoughts are. No, I think scrupulosity is more than a mistake. I think scrupulosity is when a person makes a mountain out of a molehill when it comes to sins, whether they obsess over sins. You know, I'm constantly telling people, Christianity is not a sad religion. And it's not a religion where all we do is obsess over sin. And yet sometimes when you talk to Catholics, you have the idea that that's all they think it's about. They'll even talk about their past as being so terrible in Catholic school or something because uh, sister looked at me cross-eyed one day. Well, everybody that goes to school has problems with the teacher. And uh, it's... uh, it's very hard to separate that out so that you don't blame a religion for some person's custom in how they enforce it. So, no, I think scrupulosity is more than just mistakes. Um, not feeding your dog is a mistake. Uh, but... And I know there are people who probably think that's a sin, but uh, still, you can find a sin, you can find what you consider to be sinfulness in anything, and most of it isn't true. Uh, tonight's Thursday. That means the world over with Raymond Arroyo tonight. Raymond talks to Dr. Walid Fares on the Israeli Hamas Hamas conflict, and also Robert Royal and Father Gerald Murray on the latest news from the Vatican. That's the world over with Raymond Arroyo tonight, eight Eastern time, right here on EWTN. 
television and radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We could still squeeze in a couple of calls at 833-288-3986. Nicole would like to know, she says, hypothetically, let's say medical technology was advanced enough to where we could remove the embryo from the room, oper- from the womb, operate on it, and then put the embryo back in the womb. Why would this action be morally okay, but adopting a frozen embryo is not? Well, first of all, the frozen embryo uh, is not born from parents. It's born in a test tube, basically. Or, um, let's see. Uh, back to this embryo question that goes on and on. Um, also, the uh, whole problem with the frozen embryo is that it was mostly conceived in a test tube. You remember that a part, most of them are the results of children who were uh, created, I could say, by um, artificial insemination because people wanted to have more than one chance at having a child when they couldn't have a child. And so what do you do with them once they're created? They don't have any mother or father as such, and, if, and they do, I mean, they have an official parent, ob- parents, obviously, but they're not conceived as an act of love. And it's more than just a mechanism. I've got an email from Milton, and he says, Father, when praying the Apostles' Creed, is it correct to say he descended to the dead or he descended to hell? I hear it both ways, and I'm wondering which one is correct. Neither one, both of them are correct. Because what you're talking about there is limbo of the just. Uh, what's known as shale by the Greeks. And um, it's the people who believed in Christ before he came, uh, died in grace, but couldn't enter heaven because the gates of heaven hadn't been opened yet. Which happens, of course, in the crucifixion. Um, Terry writes in, Why are some evangelicals insistent on a 5,000-year-old earth? What difference does it make if the earth is 3 million years old or not? Well, it may not make any difference to you, but it means a lot to them because... They try to calculate Genesis as far as time is concerned using the numbers that are made in the book of Genesis. And these numbers are more or less ideal. They're not real as such. And, who, and one doesn't really know either how they measured time exactly when it came to scriptural problems. So they want it to come out right. Uh, so what's actually enumerated in Genesis becomes real historically and as we know Genesis is a historical book but it's not a historical book in the sense of the timeline 
uh, as far as who did what when for how many years. It's a historical book because it talks about, well, prehistory, which are the first two chapters, and then according to John Paul II, history actually begins with the sin. Last chance, if you'd like uh, to ask a question of Father Brian Malady, if you call right now, we can probably still get you in. The number's 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in the United States and Canada. 833-288-3986. Sharon wants to know if a Catholic can pray for the soul of a non-Catholic, particularly that they may enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, of course, we can always pray for anyone. Uh, how efficacious our prayers are is another question. Whether it actually accomplishes what we do it for. But we have the ability, certainly, to do so. And we should pray for them, too. Uh, Barb, here's one I've never heard, Father. Barb, you may have. Barb wants to know, does or did the Bible ever mention reincarnation? I've heard it was removed from the Bible. No. <laughs> uh, there is no reincarnation in the Bible. If you mean that there were people that died that came back to earth, like Samuel, for instance, and Saul, uh, yes, there are. But if you mean someone becomes a duck that was a man, no, there is no reincarnation. See, reincarnation is based on the whole philosophy that matter is one big blob and that things are just taken from it and uh, depending on what the blob really wants. It's very much like in Star Wars, the Force. Uh, remember, the Force can be good or evil. The Force has no, well, as far as I can tell, no real... Um, personality of any kind it's just a force and so uh, no the Bible certainly doesn't represent anything like that um, and Barb had a second question do diocesan parish priests get a salary I know they don't take vows of poverty why not they don't take vows of poverty because they're not into vows in a fixed way of life, as I was representing at the beginning of the program, in which they give up things that are, for most people, are legitimate. They give them up for the sake of charity. And um, so, Dosses and priests certainly may take uh, salaries. Because otherwise, how would they support themselves? Religious orders are supported by religious orders. While in the diocesan priest's case, they're supported by the diocese. But as a kind of a salary for the care of souls for working in the parish. Uh, Lee is in the great state of Iowa. Uh, listening, he's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lee, you're on with Father Brian Malady. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, touching on scrupulosity there, you, you've touched on it a couple of different times here today, Father, and I, and 
I don't think I'm. I don't think I got the major problem there, but I I do know I'm borderline on that. But I think part of the reason is is okay if you die with any mortal sin unconfessed, that, that, that's a big deal, right? I mean, Catholic faith says you're you're you, you're condemned. You, that's right. But what's mortal sin? Most people don't commit mortal sins, or very rarely. They commit venial sins, so you don't have to. You're, it's recommended that you confess venial sins, but you will not uh, be without grace if you don't. Venial sin is only sin in a certain respect. Um, so, to be all hot and bothered about it, uh, really belittles the depth of the power of the Christian faith. Because it tends to think that God is interested in trivia. Um, Nathan writes in, We have a new parish priest that insists everyone recite the whole responsorial psalm during Mass instead of just the responses. I find this very strange and wondered if it breaks the rubrics of the Novus Ordo. Oh, I don't think it breaks the rubrics. I think that... The Novus Ordo is pretty open-ended regarding rubrics. Uh, it depends on depends on what you want to recite or don't want to recite when it comes to the liturgy of the word. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% positive, but just based on questions that we receive here on the year, I've had to uh, uh, refer to the general instruction of the Roman Missal on many occasions, and I don't recall there being any uh, stipulation about the responsorial psalm at all? No, it's it's perfectly up to, well, I suppose the priest in the final analysis. But if you don't want to recite the responsorial psalm, just don't do it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're free in that regard. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Malady, our producer, Charles Beery, call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in again to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Be sure to tune in tomorrow. Our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, will be in the house taking your questions on EWTN's Open Line Friday. Until we get together tomorrow with Colin, God bless.